Morning all, welcome. Morning online as well, welcome. Morning if you're watching this in a few months' time. Where have you been? But anyway, you are welcome. Uh, 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 that's that, I don't want songs. I want that. Okay. So, let's pray. Father, we want to hear from you this morning. On this um, a special day, it's not in any kind of church calendar, but what a thing to be celebrating fathers. And God, we are aware that for many people, celebrating fathers is associated with pain because of lost fathers, because of absent fathers, abusive fathers, because they feel a failure themselves maybe as a father, estranged relationships and more. And then there's you. And you never look at all that pain and say, it doesn't matter. You never look at all that pain and say, come on, you should be over it by now. You just look and then it's just all becomes subsumed. It all becomes like, they're like drips of water and then there's just a gush a torrent of love from you and God for those people who struggle to receive your love may that change today on Father's Day thank you Lord okay well we are still in Colossians but the good news is um, Colossians is like all about Jesus and Jesus points a lot to God who's a father. So the theme of today, like every other day of the year, is Father's Day. Every day is Father's Day, right? It's like when our, um, our beloved Anglican friends um, uh, celebrate Holy Week. Um, uh, there's the other 51 weeks, right? They're all holy. Um, uh, so that's, we, we love them. That, that's not a, an issue. It's like today's Father's Day. Every day is Father's Day. In God's calendar, every day is Father's Day, which is a wonderful thing, except Mother's Day, obviously. He, you know, apart from that day. Before we get into a theological complex argument over that one, uh, <laughs> let's move swiftly on. If you've got your Bibles with you, which I know people are now in very much in the habit of bringing them with them, so to be able to make notes, uh, we are going to go to uh, this here. This is Colossians. We have finally... After five weeks, made it out of chapter one, and we are scorching our way a verse at a time into Colossians chapter two. Um, I'm going to read it first of all, and it's on your screens. This is the NIV. I want you to know, this is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, which is Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So, first thing I did was went, huh? 
It's not like I haven't read it before. You're like, yeah, yeah. You, know, you get the feeling it sounds nice, but you then start to unpick it. And Paul's arguments are, are, are often fairly um, complex. You know, this bit begats this bit, which begats this bit, and so it goes on. So here we go. This is from the message. I think this may just be marginally um, easier to immediately grasp. I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I am on your side, right alongside you, and you are not in this alone. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Jesus, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase, that other so-called mysteries or the secret. I'm a long way off, true, and you may never even lay eyes on me, but believe me, I'm on your side, right beside you, and I am delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways you conduct your affairs, and I'm impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Jesus. Now, as I read that, I said to God, oh, should we be doing like a Father's Day talk? We normally, we normally mix it up and whatever series that we may be doing at the time, we kind of jump out of that for a week into Father's Day. And I felt God say, look again. And I had a penny drop moment at my desk. And if we go to this verse here you'll see or these ver- Whoop, too far these verses here you'll see this is Paul speaking this time to the church in Corinth he says i am writing this not to shame you but to warn you as my dear children even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus i became your father through the gospel therefore i urge you to imitate me And I realized in that moment, God saying, he's being a dad. That's what Paul's being. Look at what he's doing. He is being a dad. In Thessalonians, one of the other letters, we offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. We invite you to imitate those who through patience and faith have inherited what's been promised, it says in Hebrews. And remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith and Paul is saying clearly he's not their biological father but he's saying I'm your spiritual dad I'm being dad to you and you find those fathers in the faith and they cannot help but be fathers it's like that's who they are so you find this and Paul even though he hadn't met most of the Ephesus church and he makes that point of saying look I know I haven't even met half of you but basically I'm being dad. I'm contending for you. I'm fighting for you. And so on and so forth. And we will um, reveal a little bit more of this as we go on. So, let's look at this blue verse. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you 
and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Always, through this talk this morning, anytime you read this, anytime you read Paul, see Father. He is saying, I'm basically, I'm trying to imitate Father. So if you're struggling to imitate Father, at least imitate me. He's not setting himself up to be like the Father, but he's saying, I'm being a Father. Paul is fighting for these people, most of whom, the vast majority of whom, he's never even met. He's contending for them. Now, this, this word contending, actually, when you look in different translations, pretty much every translation of the Bible translate this, this original word differently. And the original word is actually agon, agon. And it meant a place of battle, an arena, a stadium, coliseum. Now that means literally it was one of those and figuratively. This is actually where we get the word agony from to agonize, because we are contending. And Paul says, in fact, one of the translations says, I agonize for you. I'm contending for you. He's fighting for them in prayer, contending on his knees. This is what fathers do. They fight for their kids. They contend for them, particularly in prayer. They fight to believe the best in them. They fight to keep their hearts right with them, fight to defend them, contend for their purity, and so much more. Paul, even though he doesn't know them, is telling them, I step into the arena of prayer and I contend for you. Fathers contend for their kids. Fathers contend for their kids we have this Paul goes on to say my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart united in love so this is what he's contending for so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so in the passion translation it says this I am contending for you this is what Paul's praying that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven, woven together into love's fabric. This will give you access to all the riches of God as you experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Jesus. Paul's aim here, he's not trying to control the Colossians. He's not saying, do this. You must do this. You have to do that. He's not trying to get them to do what he wants, but instead, he's trying to remind them, don't forget to know the one that we all know. Don't forget, it's all about Jesus. Hold fast to the truth. The Britons who went and um, planted in Dover, God bless you guys, we love what you're doing down there in Dover. When their kids leave the house, they say to them, remember you're a Briton. I love that. I love that. That's a dad job. Doesn't mean mums can't do it. This is what Paul's doing here. He's saying, remember what you stand for. Remember what you're about. Remember who brought you into all this. Good fathers, they point and then they walk with. 
They don't give orders and then drag. Fathers help their kids to hold fast. So what is it that Paul is trying to get them to hold fast to? Well, no surprises, Colossians, if ever someone asks you a question about Colossians and you're not immediately sure of the answer, guess Jesus. Okay, you're probably going to be right because it's like this book is obsessed with Jesus, um, which is a great thing. So it's like um, this, this idea of this mystery, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, this mystery of God, who is Jesus. And it's like a treasure map of old has been lying in a dusty cupboard and has now been found and you kind of unroll it and blow the dust off. And Paul invites them, says, oh, I found this treasure. Come with me. Come and find this treasure for yourselves. And the treasure, of course, is Jesus himself. He is the treasure. Tom Wright, wonderful theologian, if he's being super theological, he writes as N.T. Wright. That's for the hardcorers. If not, head for Tom Wright. He says this, Christianity, says the old slogan, is Christ. Put him in the middle of your picture of the world and the world will stop spinning in incomprehensible circles and begin to make sense. Find him and you've got the treasure. It may take you a while to get it all out of the treasure chest and inspect it, but when you do, you'll find, so Paul is saying in verse 3, that all the wisdom and knowledge that ever there was finds its meaning in Jesus. He is, quite simply, what everything is all about. That's what Paul is reminding them. This from the New Living Translation I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious map, his plan, the treasure, which is Jesus himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is what Paul wishes to remind them of, to help them to hold fast to. Fathers help their kids to hold fast. Tiny little verse. He says, I'm telling you this. Why am I telling you this? Because sometimes we say this to people. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things that we already know. And Paul is effectively saying, you might think, why am I saying this to you? I mean, you, can't, you guys know this, right? So why, why, am I, why am I saying this to you? He's saying, I'm telling you this so that no one can deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Here's the dad at work again. I'm helping you to hold fast. Now, you might think, oh, come on, Chris, this is like 2,000 years ago. There has been a proliferation of words spoken and written in the last 20, 30 years, particularly since the advent of the Internet, that means I haven't seen a graph, but it's got to be going up exponentially for the amount of words that we are hit with every day. Far more than any other generation ever. And Paul, 2,000 years ago, is saying, I don't want you to be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And there are some corkers out there today. Now, the arguments that are so obviously wrong, they're easy. They're really easy. 
You can spot them a mile off and you're like, I disagree with that. That's wrong or, or whatever stand we choose to take. But there are many arguments used by many lobbies and they become really subtle. And this isn't to comment right, wrong. This is merely for a moment simply to comment on language that gets used that are fine-sounding arguments. How about this one? You don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. Sure. And you're missing the point. That a lie which is all a lie can be met and fought without right, but a lie which is part truth, far harder matter to face, says Tennyson. It's the only Tennyson quote I know. You're welcome. <laughs> it's not even in my notes. Any time I can quote that. Um, because it's so true. When you see an argument that's so clearly wrong, you can always just bring that argument down. When an argument contains elements of truth, it becomes far harder. Is it true you don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian? Yes. Of course you can know God without being part of a church. Jesus was a good guy with some good ideas. Yes. Yes, he, he, he was. How about this from the abortion lobby? My body, my choice. Now we're getting controversial. My body, my choice. Brilliant argument. Who doesn't think they should have choice? Everyone thinks they should have choice. Um, LGBT community, love always wins or is never wrong or born this way. You've got um, the cancel culture at the moment. There's running in fear. Anytime anyone says something that's at all controversial, you're gone. Cancelled. Book deal finished. No, you're not appearing on this television program. I don't want you anywhere near me for fear that my ratings might get tainted by you actually not just speaking what everyone else is basically saying. Fathers help their kids to hold fast. Look, this is really crucial. I love classical music. I used to listen to it loads when I was at uni. Uh, loads and loads. I listened to I had hundreds and hundreds of CDs back in the day. CDs. And um, you would, I remember there were some works that I loved so much that I had them on vinyl. And then when CDs came out, I then bought them on CD as far as I could. There were only like a few. My absolute top favorite, without a doubt, is Rachmaninoff's Second Piano Concerto. And I remember buying a CD of, it wasn't the same actually as the album version I had. And I remember when I listened to it, I remember thinking, oh, this bit's a bit fast. Oh, this bit's a bit like jumpy and agit. Oh, this bit doesn't sound quite right. And, and I remember commenting on this to my dad actually. And my dad said, the one we listen to first is invariably our favourite. And it becomes the thing that all other versions get measured against. Paul is reminding them of their first love, what they know, what they have been taught. He is pointing to the anchor they have in Jesus. He's pointing at it and saying, it's Jesus, while Paul's actually going like this and stamping it further into the seabed to make sure it doesn't slip. What a responsibility. 
we have as fathers to help our kids hold on to what is right and what is true. Not to control them, but to model it and influence them through having a heart that is unquestionably for them. Great example. Talking about sex and identity is absolutely crucial. I may have this wrong, but I feel that there is something of the father, a father, that seems to call out the identity of the children. According to Shai Fairley, Warden University in the States, in a national survey of teens, 80% said their decisions about sex and relationships are influenced by what their parents told them. And if you have children who are young enough, do not leave sex ed to the schools. You are absolutely reneging on your responsibility. I say it that strongly. Whichever voice your kids hear first, that is the one against which other, all other views will become judged. Very quiet in here. The Rochester Area Fatherhood Network, it's not in this country, this is the state. There's some British ones coming in a minute. 83% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behaviour disorders, 85% come from fatherless homes. That is 20 times the national average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the average. Get this one, daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. To have children as teenagers, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers. And 164% more likely to have a premarital birth. Bringing it home, lads need dads. What a fantastic organisation. I encourage you to go and look them up. In this country, 1.1 million children are growing up without a dad in their lives. 1.1 million children are growing up without a father in their lives. Young men in prison in England and Wales, 76% grew up without a dad in their lives. But you're right, dads are they're just a bit irrelevant, I think. It's just, you know. I mean, they're, they're a bit of an optional thing. How often do we see in the press, in kids' cartoons, in kids' programs, that the dad is kind of, he's all right, he's well-meaning, but he's a bit of an oaf, a bit of a muppet. I mean, what does he know, honestly? Good grief, even in Peppa Pig, the dad just basically laughs at nearly everything. Never actually really says anything useful. And I quite like Peppa Well, not so much anymore, but I quite like Peppa Pig when I watched it with my kids. <laughs> you want to know what society thinks about fathers? Look for men's birthday cards or Father's Day cards. You'll get the picture. 
That's how men are viewed. That is how men are viewed. How key fathers are in helping to establish truth, right from wrong, identity in a child, helping to keep their kids effectively on the straight and narrow, by love. And that's what Paul is doing here. I'll say it again. Fathers help their kids to hold fast. You could rephrase that and say kids need their dads to help them hold fast. And as we see here, I think that statistic that says about the number of um, girls who don't have a dad at home who will then potentially go and marry in their teens or become pregnant in their teens, my guess is they're missing the love and affection of a dad. And they go looking for it somewhere else. I know this will be sensitive for some people. I'm doing my absolute best to tread as delicately as I can. Please know I'm really not trying to tread on anyone's toes. Nearly everyone's got father issues of some description. We all have. It's way more of a pandemic than COVID. Way more destructive. Right to people's identity. So we have this verse, finally, for though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I love that Paul's care and concern for them is shown by this sort of rather pained, look, I know I'm not with you, but I wish I were and believe me, I am with you. I know I can't be there, but oh gosh, I'd love to be. Rob Parsons, it's not my notes, but Rob Parsons, um, in his book, The 60-Minute Father, says that he gets a number of dads say, well, I want to be my kids, but I can't for whatever reason. Work or estrangement, whatever. And he says, Rob Parsons says this, you may not be able to be with them, but whenever you can be or in any way possible, show them you'd love to be. Brilliant advice. So as parents, we have to let our kids go. But it's like we are with them. Anyone who has released a child into their first day of school, you know that feeling that you're with them, right? We used to call it at, at Kings North the Tears and Tissues Day. And that, that's basically what used to happen. It was tears, tissues, cups of tea, and you just you knew your heart was with them. And you were there 20 minutes early to pick them up, even though there was no need to be there so stupidly early because your heart is with them. Kids transitioning to secondary school, getting married, leaving home, going to uni and so on. The first time you let them out in the evening. We know that feeling of letting our kids go. But Paul reiterates how important it is and he says to them, listen, never forget this stuff. It's Jesus. He got you into this. It's all about him. He is the treasure. He is your wisdom. He is your knowledge. He is your love. He is your model of the Father. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, go and have a nice time. By the way, it's Jesus. And when you come back, I'll still be talking about Jesus and know that wherever you're going right now, my heart has gone with you. I am praying for you. I am contending for you. 
fathers champion their kids. You get their names on a scarf and you wave it. Something I am still learning to do. However, I could learn a thing or two from this man. I only wish we had clearance to show the video. This is Bert Laclosse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't do his South African accent. I've tried. I practiced at home. <laughs> but, but he's talking, um, he was being interviewed by Claire Balding about his son, Chad Laclosse, who had just beaten Michael Phelps. And the dad was, oh my word, it's difficult to put it into words. This is unbelievable, he was going. And then what they did was in the studio, they were cutting to shots. So while he was being interviewed, they were cutting to shots of the, of the three medal winners, like walking around the edge of the pool up to the podium and this kind of thing. And so the dad is saying, this is unbelievable. Just look at him and he's beautiful. Look at this, what a beautiful boy. Like they like, just couldn't help himself. That's my boy! He's going like that. He was so, oh, honestly, I think the link, I think I put it, if you're in the chat, I think the link is going in there. I've got three words. Be like Bert. I mean, like, be like, if you take nothing else away this morning, as dads and mums, be like Bert. Absolutely championed. He just couldn't help it. And he actually was never meant to become like a star, a celebrity known in any... He's, he's, he's the dad of a swimmer who won a gold medal. You don't normally get those, but he was so effervescent and enthusiastic about his son. Do you know that son, I bet, has virtually zero identity issues. He knows he's loved. He knows his dad is a safe space. He knows about the straight and narrow. Absolutely. Interestingly, I didn't watch it, but there's another interview with him I think a couple of years later, about the sacrifices you make for the sake of your kids. I might find that a bit later on. So, be like Bert. <laughs> Love him. It's great. Claire Balding just kept grinning because he was so enthusiastic. I really encourage you to go and find it. Bert Lucloss. So, as we... Um, as we do a, a couple of circles in a holding pattern ready to land, we have three main elements that really come out of this. And we saw right at the beginning, and all the way through, is a theme where Paul's saying, I'm contending for you. Fathers contend for their kids. It doesn't mean ladies don't. It doesn't mean mums don't. But it is the case that fathers do. Fathers should. Number two, fathers help their kids to hold fast. The voice they hear first will be their favorite. The belief, the value, the opinion, the truth they hear first will be the one against which all other truths are measured. Number three. Fathers champion their kids. You could have, outside of this letter, said to Paul, Paul, what do you think of the people at Colossae? He would have been like Bert. 
even though he's writing to them because they're starting to believe other things. And he's saying, whoa, hang on a minute, Jesus. Remember, it's Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. Yes, well done, Jesus. It's always Jesus. That's what he's saying to them. Even so, even so, if you ask Paul outside of this letter, what do you think of the church of Colossae? He'd be like Bert. Oh, those guys, I love them. They're amazing, my finest Greek. I love them. They're incredible. Oh, the way they hold on to Jesus and they're just anchored into him and they, they follow what Jesus says and they're just so ordered in their faith and the way they go about things. Oh, my heart is with them. I long to be able to one day see them and so on. So ladies, you might think well, this has just all been about fathers. I know Dave Rowe has a t-shirt that says, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. But I think that behind most great dads, not all, and it's just not exclusively true, but behind a lot of great dads is a great mum and a great wife who believes in the dad to be great. That really matters. So ladies, please don't think, oh, this is just all about fathers. I don't have a role here. I don't have a job to do here. Chris is talking to dads. Well, I am talking to dads. But one of the greatest works that the enemy has done is get women to undermine fathers. It's one of the greatest works he's done because it's so subtle and it's a part truth. Men probably do spend too long on hobbies, too long getting drunk, too long... These are sweeping, massive generalizations. But how often do you hear those jokes? Men are always getting criticized for saying a load of jokes about their wives and all that kind of thing. True. Wrong. But it happens. shouldn't happen. How many women do I hear at the school gate and whatever absolutely slagging off the dad? Even if they're still together, and it's, the kids are like right there. I would encourage you ladies, thank you for your tolerance and patience with us as dads as we learn to be better dads. Thank you for learning from your dad. Thank you for dealing with the pain that you may feel from your dad or from your husband who maybe wasn't a great dad. All those painful things. But what Paul is modeling so beautifully here is how to be a dad. Let's stand and we'll pray. We need to wrap up. It's not my fault. It was just too good. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. Let your kingdom be established in our praises as we sing. Father, you set yourself up as dad. We've talked about this so many times. You could have been the great potentate. You could have set yourself up as a cleric, as an academic, as a prime minister, as a president, as a dictator. There are so many things you could have set yourself up as And you said, I'm dad. That's who I am. 
And Father, I pray for everyone here, everyone online, who has issues around fathers from whatever stream, however that's come into their lives. And I pray, God, that you will help us all to get through those issues, to get past those issues, to never throw the baby out with the bathwater. I pray for restoration and healing for all those people for whom Father's Day is a painful day. Mm. And God, I pray for the ladies as they champion and support us men, and I pray for us men as we be the best fathers we can possibly be in your grace. It's the only way. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.